broke. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One in four people in America asked, does anybody know you, really? And to that question, who's for real? Very few people. Very few people, less than 20%. In every region of the United States admitted in 1990 that anybody really knew them. Does anybody really know Dr. Fauci? What do we know about Dr. Fauci? The only thing we know about Dr. Fauci is what we're told to know about Dr. Fauci. We're told he is the most trustworthy person in the country, receives the largest salary of anyone in the federal government, And we're told that because he has a degree and has been heading up a major enterprise, medical enterprise for the United States government, that we must trust him. But now we've discovered over the past several weeks that he is almost absolutely untrustworthy, even by his own admission. And so today on Viewpoint, Our purpose is not to crucify Dr. Fauci because he's doing that well to himself. Our purpose is to take a look at ourselves. To take a look at ourselves because we want to look at a subject that is very difficult to find these days. Let me tell you how difficult it is to find this subject. I have in my library a whole shelf of books. In a reference section, books of quotations. Thousands and thousands and thousands of quotations by subject matter. And so I decided to go through those books, and I went through seven of them. Seven books on quotations. Literally thousands and thousands and thousands of quotations. And here's what I was looking for. I was looking for the word integrity. Can you believe that even among Christian quotation books, National quotation books, general quotation books, covering thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of quotations, I could not find the word integrity in any of them except one. Except one. And that was a book called Living Quotations for Christians. Living Quotations for Christians. Let me just go through a few of these quotes to kind of get our minds and our hearts around this subject briefly. Always vote for a principle, though you vote alone, said John Quincy Adams, our, the, the sixth president of the United States. Oswald Chambers said, my worth to God in public is what I am in private. Vance Havner said, America has built was built not by politicians running for something, but by statesmen standing for something. Another says, live so that the preacher can tell the truth at your funeral. People may doubt what you say, but they will always believe what you do. Well, I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's always conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. I trust that today will be no exception. And we want to talk about the subject of integrity that goes to the word integer. 
The word integer is basically a mathematical term, and the number one is the integer because it represents one. So in one sense, God being one God is the ultimate integer of the universe. He's one. He said, I am God, and there is none other. Even though humankind wants to make himself God and declare himself the great I am more and more in this increasingly God-less and rebellious universe in which we're living, still, God represents the ultimate integer, or, you might say, integrity. So integrity is what happens when your life and your words and your professions of belief and your actions all coincide and become congruent so that you cannot recognize any difference between them. Each one represents the other in a direct mirror image that is integrity. So here's my question to you before we ever get started. We know about Dr. Fauci, and we know the lies that have been told even by our current putative president of the United States over and over and over again. We know that. We know that Barack Obama, for instance, told us, you can keep your doctor, just vote for this measure, Obamacare. You can keep your doctor, only to discover he had no intention of allowing you to keep your doctor, and his henchmen actually scorned people who really believed that they meant what they said, that they had no intention that you could keep your doctor. You can just see the problem here. Our words, our actions, our intentions, our promises, our purposes, are are these all in alignment? Well, let me ask you this. What would your children say? What would your grandchildren say? What would your spouse say? Or those that you work with? I want to share something with you very personal here today on Viewpoint. My wife and I just returned from a wonderful 10-day vacation with our oldest daughter, her husband, and our four oldest grandchildren, ages 22 to almost 28. Our oldest had just become an M.D., medical doctor, and just last night headed to Vanderbilt University Medical School for his internship to begin that grueling outlay. But he was present present during our entire time together during those 10 days. Would you be interested to know what we did during those 10 days? Well, maybe not. But let me just share this with you, this little bit. After we had a marvelous breakfast prepared by my daughter, our oldest daughter, Nicole, who happens to be my producer, every one of us sat down together with knowledge about what we were going to do and with purpose, sat down together in a very casual, very casual way, and opened up the book of Daniel and began to read it began to read it in a slow fashion, going, each person reading a couple of verses and going around the room and then commenting concerning what we were reading, discussing it, asking questions, commenting, applying, and so on. We did this every day 
for 10 days. Every day for 10 days. How much time do we spend doing that? Oh, not less than an hour. And then we followed that by a 30-minute video, a series helping us to apply certain areas of our character from the life of Joseph. So all told, we spent a minimum of two hours every morning before we did anything else devoted to building character from God's viewpoint. What do you think they were, how do you think they responded? You know what their response is universally? It was the best and most important part of the entire vacation, in spite of the incredible beauty of our surroundings. We'll be right back. Integrity Counts. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today we're talking about the integrity gap. We're talking about the gap that is in the gates of America. You say the gates of America? I didn't know we had any gates. Well, it's a strange kind of gate that we have. The gates of America over the past 30 years seem to be made up of demonstrations of lack of integrity. The breach in integrity. So it's like the breaches of integrity are making up the walls of America. So the gap in those gates has to be filled by something. And hopefully it will be filled by something of integrity. But what is integrity? We talked a little bit about the foundation root word of integrity, which is integer. It goes to the very sense of oneness. And God is one. Some people say, that if you believe in the Trinity, you don't believe in one God. You believe in many gods. No. God is one. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you will find language to indicate that God himself expresses himself as multiple personalities expressed only in one actual unit. That is God. So he says, I am God, and there is none other. Well, there's only one kind of integrity, and that is integrity. Only one kind. There aren't various kinds of integrity. There's only one kind of integrity, and that is the alignment of our words, our ways, our actions, our beliefs, our convictions. All of these things have to come into a unity of alignment. Have you noticed how people try to pursue unity? They don't try to pursue unity through integrity. They actually try to pursue unity through breaking integrity. And that's true also in the church. Instead of being unified according to the truth, we want to unify ourselves according to feelings and according to religious correctness or political correctness or 
any other kind of theories and ideas and but whatever happened to truth jesus in his high priestly prayer said in john 17 sanctify or set them apart he was talking about his disciples set them apart according to thy truth thy word is truth and then having said that as the prerequisite he went on to say that the world may know that you have sent me oh in other words bring them into unity around your truth not unity around their feelings not unity to be in unity but unity that is the result or fruit of pursuing truth. You see, integrity itself is a fruit. Integrity is the fruit of the root of lives that are aligning with a congruency of every aspect of your life. In 1953... President Eisenhower, in his first inaugural address, reflected on this. He said, whatever America hopes to bring to pass in the world must first come to pass in the heart of America. So here's my question. What is in the heart of America today? What's in your heart? America isn't a feeling or a political whim or a patriotic euphoria. America is we, the people. And for America to change we, the people, have to change. We can't express the president or the Congress or Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks. We can't express, expect any of them to change unless we, the people, are willing to change. Now, here's an interesting point. An editorial in Time magazine stated this, As voters, we profess shock that our candidates should behave as we do. But the paradox is striking. Voters are demanding in their leaders the personal virtues that they decreasingly demand of themselves. And, as the late Charles Krauthammer said, there's a word for the profession of virtue accompanied by practice of vice. Hypocrisy. And so the reality is we the people are widening this allegiance gap that we're supposed to have, unwilling to clean up the image that we see in our national mirror. And, as goes our integrity, so goes our allegiance. Now, integrity is not a political matter in and of itself. It's a moral and spiritual issue. It has political ramifications. It has economic ramifications. It has ramifications for the family. It has ramifications for just about everything in our lives. Integrity. But if there isn't integrity... And if we don't know what it is, and we have no desire to pursue it as a fruit in our life, what would you expect would happen to our country? Well, it's going to be made up of all of these strange gates. Well, let's talk about some of those gates. We can go back to, say, 1992. There was a scandal in the 1992 presidential election. <coughs> It was character gate. That's when America decided that personal integrity was a value worth sacrificing for the promise of temporary economic relief. Now, what was the promise of temporary economic relief? Oh, it's the 
It's the economy, stupid. So here's what Newsweek had to say about that. Everything's an issue of integrity. So then we pass through Travel Gate with the Clinton administration, and then China Gate, where they were selling the Lincoln bedroom to gain funds for Clinton's campaign, and then Monica Gate, in which fidelity to spouse, loyalty to country, and commitment to truth became national casualties. And now, ever since then, we have been trudging our way through moral gate after moral gate after moral gate into a world in which moral principles that have guided us and protected us for the centuries are just being thrown away like unwanted refuse. In the cry, in the face of a cry for individual rights and selfish political pursuits. Now think about this. That same president that we were talking about that ran through Travelgate, Chinagate, Monica Gate, then ultimately. The, in 1997, the 42nd president of the United States made what may well have been the most arrogant public statement ever made by a sitting president. But it reflected in public what was already practiced in private. Here's what he said. Listen carefully. Bill Clinton went to Southern California and with intention and full knowledge made the decision to be the first president ever to openly and notoriously address and affirm a homosexual gathering. And here's what he said. We are redefining in practical terms the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Really? Notice he gathered you and me, the whole country, under his deceptive wings and said, we're redefining. We're redefining as a people in practical terms. In fact, on the ground with our decisions, we are making decisions to change the immutable ideals. In other words, the unchangeable ideals that he admitted have guided us from the beginning. Now, that takes a level of chutzpah that supersedes just about any other level of chutzpah because he knew, he well knew, Bill Clinton, both he and his wife carrying their big black Bibles for photo ops regularly to the United Methodist Church there in Washington, D.C., he said, we are redefining in practical terms the unchangeable ideals that have been established by God that have guided this country from the beginning. Wow. In other words, he said, we don't even care about the foundations of truth. We don't care about the foundations of righteousness. Even though the Bible said righteousness alone exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. He said, we don't care about that anymore. No, what we care about is political power. And we're going to throw all what the Bible and historic practice, a traditional morality, we're going to throw it all away. That which has guided this country from the beginning and the whole world, we're going to throw it all away. For one purpose, political power. And that's what the Democratic Party has been doing ever since. And that now is what has entered our schools in the name of wokeness and is compelling 
teachers, the teachers of your kids, to teach them even as low as kindergarten masturbation. That's right. These are being forced upon your teachers. And your teachers, through their boards of education are and through the uh, state boards of education, are forcing these agendas on your family and your children. In other words, what Bill Clinton said in 1992 is now coming to pass in spades. We are, in practical ways, throwing away, changing the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Are you beginning to see how this works? So is it any wonder that we don't like what we see in our national mirror then? How can I? How can you? How can we pledge allegiance to a nation that's losing its integrity? And by the way, this is becoming a big deal for me because next week, the nation's supposed to be putting out its flags. I was born on Flag Day, just like Donald Trump. I'm a year older. It used to be that people put out their flags every Flag Day, June 14th. It's hard to find flags out there anymore, unless maybe if you go down to North Carolina, South Carolina, in those areas, which we just drove through coming back from Florida from our vacation. Seeing signs along the highway calling people back to God, repent, prepare the way of the Lord, and so on. So, you would think that a series of tragedies in our country would get our attention, but it hasn't. The 9-11 tragedy certainly didn't. So, where are we going to go? Well, as a practicing attorney who went to law school, well, I'm no longer practicing, but I'm pleading the cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers, the American people. You are the jury here, primarily professing Christians, because God's message through the Bible is primarily to those who profess his name. All the warnings of Scripture are to professing believers. All of them. They're not to, they're not to uh, pagans. We're to go out and pro- proclaim the good news, but God is saying, no, you're my warmest audience. I want you to get your act straight. So if we're expecting to see integrity in our country reborn, It has to begin in the church house. It has to begin in your house and in my house. The problem is we're not quite willing to take a look at the incidentals, things that we think are just incidentals in our life, to see how they don't line up with the Word of God. And that's one of the things that we did one of the days uh, during our family vacation as we spent in one day in the book of Daniel Chapter 9, we were talking about Daniel's prayer of repentance for his people. And yet Daniel was considered by God to be one of the three most righteous men in the Old Testament. Daniel, Noah, and Job. So why was Daniel saying, we have sinned? Well, because he was identifying with his people just like I am identifying today in a similar way with 
the American people, and particularly with the church in America. The church is my people. I grew up in the body of Christ. I've been a Christian since I was five, as has been my wife. We identify with the body of Christ. But we're not happy about that identification. We're not bitter about it, but we're not happy with it because we see almost no integrity from pulpit to pew. Integrity is very scarce. Integrity in the church is just as scarce as the word integrity in the seven volumes of quotations that I looked through in my library and couldn't even find the word except in one book. Think about that for a moment. And what did the U.S. Supreme Court ask years ago in trying to define pornography? Think about that for a moment. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. What a privilege, what a blessing it is to come before you day after day after day, now over 26 years, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. I hope that you see it that way. It's not my perspective. It's God's perspective. And we're merely trying, as a former trial attorney, taking all of that training and bringing it to bear to plead God's cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour right here on the near edge of the second coming. Before we go any further, I want to uh, suggest you might want to consider, particularly as we head into Flag Day and then uh, the 4th of July and so on, you might want to consider getting a copy of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. When I wrote this book, the publisher looked at it and said, you know what? We want you to use a very unusual subtitle. And here's the subtitle they chose. One person at a time, beginning with you. Renewing the soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. You see, one of the things that set this book apart, in fact, the main thing that set this book apart from everything else, and the reason why 38 national Christian leaders endorsed it is because it wasn't railing on the politicians. Oh, we discussed some of those things. Oh, yeah, a lot of details, over 500 quotations from our nation's history and so on to encourage and strengthen and guide us for the future. They love that. Many pastors have used this in the pulpit. But they saw something profoundly different about this book. What was that? 
it was not a book about them. It was a book about you and me. About us. That's why they saw it as hope. Real hope. Not just decrying the darkness, but bringing light to the darkness. So I want to make the book available to you. Many of you have it. But if you don't have it, you will encourage yourself, be very encouraged, and perhaps a little challenged, Renewing the Soul of America. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. It's not not on Amazon. No. We only have one book on Amazon now, and that is uh, Antichrist. Antichrist. How to Identify the Coming Imposter. And by the way, that book now is available in audiobook, right there on Amazon. But the rest of our books are not on Amazon. They're on our website, and there are reasons for that. We chose to do it that way. This book, Renewing the Soul of America, it's worth twice the price to encourage your heart and give you direction that's practical, that will help us to be be and become the people of integrity that God can bless. God hasn't promised to bless a nation that doesn't walk in integrity and righteousness. For righteousness alone exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any, any people, and lack of integrity is sin. It's a dissonance between what we say we believe and who we really are. That's why judgment's going to begin first at the house of God. Did you know that? That's what the Bible said. Judgment will begin first at the house of God. It would begin at my sanctuary, he said. Now, here's the book, Renewing the Soul of America. An $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or... You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, you might want to even give it as a gift. I can't tell you how many people have done that. Given them to their families, their children, their grandchildren, their pastors, and so on. Because it is such a life changing, directing, nation-changing book. It's not just decrying the darkness. It's bringing light into the darkness. Well, we've had the Vietnam War. We've had uh, Watergate. We have Iran-gate. Now we're having Iran-gate again. We've had Rubbergate, the check-bouncing scandal in the Congress years ago. Now we have COVID-gate. On many different levels, it just never ends. What do you make of the one of the founders of Black Lives Matter taking the monies that were donated supposedly to help black people and buying three expensive homes with it and then resigning from the organization? What do you make of that? Does that sound like integrity to you? We could go on and on. 
The U.S. Supreme Court was asked some years ago to define pornography. This is a classic, by the way. And the often quoted response of one of the justices was, I'll know it when I see it. Oh. Well, let me ask you a question. After 50 years since that justice said that, or however long it's been, would a justice know it when he sees it, given what's happened to our culture? given the fact that it's all over the Internet, given the fact that 70% of professing Christian men admit being involved in pornography and 34% of professing Christian women admit being involved in pornography and 34% of American pastors admit being involved in pornography? Would the Supreme Court justices know it when they see it? I don't think so, because it's been redefined. Truth has been redefined or ignored or abandoned. Therefore, integrity, as truth falls on hard times, integrity disappears. So many of us would have a pretty ill-defined conception of what integrity should look like. Uh, We believe that we'll know it when we see it, meaning that integrity is something we believe we can observe. Yet integrity is not an object. You, You can't touch it. It's not something we could reach out and grab, but we know in our hearts that it's very real when it is present and very real, a very real need when it's absent. So the trouble that we have in our country today is that with the erosion of moral absolutes, the lines of integrity have become totally blurred. So if everyone is allowed the so-called freedom to define his own morals, doesn't everyone then have the right to define his or her own integrity? So without a moral consensus among we the people, especially in the professing body of Christ, don't we really forfeit the right to a common expectation of standard integrity anywhere in the country? George Barter, we've talked about him many times. He's been on this program many times over the past 26 years. In his assessment on the results of polling Americans on their beliefs and values and direction, he titled a book, length report, Absolute Confusion. He's only one of a chorus of voices over the past 25 years to make this assessment. But I think there's hope if, if is the biggest little word in the Bible, It's perhaps the most important word in the Bible because everything is conditioned in the Bible, even salvation, on our belief and hanging our life on that belief, on faith and hanging our life on that faith, on trust and hanging our life on that trust. Faith, trust, and belief, the three-legged stool of the Christian life, linked those three legs of that stool are linked by the word obey. So what happens when the word obey is disregarded? The link, linking the legs, faith, belief, and trust now are unstable. They can split wide apart because there's nothing to anchor them. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love me, you won't. 
But if you do love me and keep my commandments, I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. In other words, that's how we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Isn't that beautiful? So we have a decaying culture. So if we sincerely want to bridge bridge the integrity gap that's made up of all these other gaps that are manifestations of the breakdown of integrity, like Watergate and uh, China Gate and COVID Gate and Fauci Gate, <laughs> I mean it just it just goes on and on and on. And now we're discovering, which was real from the beginning, that all of the so-called insurrection was not an insurrection at all and charges are gradually being dropped against many 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 of the people that have been arrested because they find no evidence of so-called insurrection and in addition to that remember all the people that supposedly were killed in the so-called insurrection do you know that there was only one person killed in the so-called insurrection, because it wasn't an insurrection. Now we're seeing images of police officers at the Capitol welcoming the people into the people's house, just as long as they were peaceful. It's amazing. That's why the Congress does not want and is refusing to release the videos of that event. Why? Because they know it will show other than what they have been telling the public. They have been lying open-facedly to the public for political power. Is that integrity? My goodness, my friends. Do you not see what trouble we're in? (laughs) It's like the old Negro spiritual. Nobody knows the trouble. Nobody knows but Jesus. Wow. But you can know more about this and how to deal with it in your own life. You can't solve all those problems, but you can solve it in your own life. That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. Integrity. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Our brother and syndicated columnist, Cal Thomas, in his book, The Death of Ethics in America, noted... The lack of any personal accountability to a moral code has made immorality respectable in our nation. He called it an American 
tragedy. Richard Halverson, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, who joined us here on this program for his final public appearance on his deathbed. He got off his deathbed to make his final public opinion uh, uh, appearance on this program because he wanted to address the church. Before that, he said, abandoning an absolute ethical moral standard leads irresistibly to the absence of ethics and morality. Each person determines his own ethical moral code. That's anarchy. Evil becomes good, and good becomes evil. Upside-down morality. Good is ridiculed, and evil is dignified. Isn't that what we're seeing everywhere, friends? Look, you can't resolve all the problems or even many or any of the problems in the Congress or the Senate or the White House or the schoolhouse or even in the church house. But you can resolve them in your house. That's one of the reasons why when our family gathered for 10 days of vacation, and after about a week, we were in Daniel chapter 9. Every morning, every morning after breakfast, we spent at least an hour and a half, if not two hours or more. And everybody knew that's what we're here for. This is the most important thing that we're doing. And by the way, when the week was over, when all were asked, what was the most important thing about this vacation, other than enjoying, you know, going to the beach, going to the swimming, and all of those things? You know what the most enjoyable thing was? The most meaningful thing, they said? The time we spent in the Word together. Because it was real. It wasn't just phony stuff. It was applying the Word of God and getting real with it. Well, when we talked about Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel's prayer or Israel, that was in rebellion and had been taken away captive to Babylon. He said, we have sinned. So after we finished reading that chapter, I said, now, let's take a look at ourselves around this room. Is there anything about our own lives, about your life, that you think is a real weakness before God? Something that you really need to deal with. It's undermining your integrity. And every individual gave responses. Oh, sometimes it was a little painful, but they did. It didn't have to be extracted from them because they knew we were serious. They knew this was big. And I also had to Mention something that was a weakness. Probably nothing that you would think about. Not murder, not sexual immorality, or anything like that. But something the family apparently thought was something that Papa could correct. It would help my testimony. And I had to ask them for forgiveness. And before God, I will purpose, like Daniel did, he purposed in his heart, I will purpose, by God's grace, 
to change that uh, issue. If we make the choice, God will help us make the change. That's what his grace is for, his enabling power to enable us to do his will. So I'm trying to be as real as I can about this. This is not a game. This is not some spiritual exercise. This is life. Now, do you want to be a person of integrity? Let me just run a few thoughts by you here. Let's suppose that I put you on the stand before the superior court or whatever they call the high court, uh, trial court in your state. And the judge says, now, will you please raise your right hand? Do you now solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give before this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And I've never heard a person yet say, I don't. So you say, I do. So I begin to cross-examine you. The last time you received too much change by the cashier, did you return the excess? The last time you were undercharged by the waiter or cashier or salesperson, did you voluntarily offer to pay the additional amount due? Did you do anything recently that would grieve you or make you angry if you knew that your spouse had done the same thing? Uh, did you, this last year, call in sick to your employer and then go off into personal pleasure or business? Ouch. What do you think? Have you permanently borrowed your employer's supplies like pencils, pens, and so on? You say, well, that's just small stuff. Oh, well, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, the Bible says. Hey, have you delayed in paying a bill when you could have made the payment timely by adjusting your personal desires? Now, again, this is the stuff that tears up America's integrity quotient, including the church. Have you told your secretary to say that you're not in, or your child to say that you're not home when you really were? Did you report all of your cash income last year on your tax return? How about this? Did you write an illness note to your child's teacher when you really took the child for some family fun activity? Do you complain about the violence and sex excesses of television or the movies and then watch them anyway? Or rent a video so you can watch it in your home so no one will see you or in the hotel room when you're away? Do you take care of personal affairs on your boss's time and report it as work time? Do you make long-distance calls from work so you don't have to pay for them on your tab at home? Can you see, this list could be endless, and it's not a matter of being legalistic, it's a matter of being realistic. These are the things that test our integrity. And without a test, there's no testimony. And if we fail the test, just think what happens to our testimony. And the testimony is not just to two or three people. It has echoing consequences through every relationship that we have. And starting in our homes, in our churches, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods, everywhere we go. And it keeps going. Do you say that you believe the Bible is God's divinely inspired authority of word? If you do, have you used the Lord's name loosely? Think about it, because 
A lot of people have developed a habit of doing this, and they don't even realize it. I'm not going to go into quoting the things that people say, but it is, it's an abomination what they say. Or they'll twist the words around and swear just twisting the letters around and think it's cool, think they've done nothing wrong, think it's not affecting their testimony. Oh, by the way, did you give at least a full tithe to the church last year? Did you divorce your spouse if he or she had not committed adultery? Have you cheated on your spouse? Like watching porn? If your children were a jury, would they convict you of being a godly example? Wow. Hey, pastors and parachurch leaders, do you raise money under false pretenses? Do you pay all your ministry bills on time? Do you try to manipulate people for ministry purposes? Would you publish almost anything if you think it would make a profit? Will you make deals with celebrities to have books published under their name to increase the profit margin when they didn't even write the book? Pastors, are you so hungry to lure people to your church that you would modify, compromise, or just not even talk about the straight truth, all the truth of God's word, as it would impinge upon the rough and tumble areas of people's lives? Some people would say, oh, that's just trivia. Oh, no, friend. This is the substance of integrity. David, the psalmist, said, to God, judge me according to my integrity. Now, we know he wasn't perfect. Far from it. So are you and I. So we know that every one of us is a sinner. That's why we know we're all dead bang guilty on these things. But does God excuse it? Because we're only human? Absolutely not. We will be judged on these things. Not just by God, we're being judged by our kids, by our grandchildren. I mean, we, we could talk about so much here, friend. And there's been a total assault, as you know, on our morals in our country. But unfortunately, from pulpit to pew, we have become co-conspirators or cooperators in much of the devaluation of Christian morals in this country. And many people are out shopping shopping for a custom-made God, one made in their own image, one who would tell them what they want to hear. Right? Now, here's the deal. Moms, dads, grandparents, we're the most important leaders in the nation. And what you and I do in modeling integrity for our kids and grandkids is going to determine not only the future of America, but will determine if there will be any land of the free and a home of the brave, or whether there's even a necessary, even a value or desire whatsoever anywhere to fly the flag. That's what concerns me, because every year, on Flag Day, my birthday, I see fewer and fewer flags flown. Why is the flag flagging 
in America, it's because our integrity has fallen apart. The late Chuck Colson in 1992 spoke of the fundamental changes in the values of American life from a breakdown of character. Here's what he said. A democracy isn't held together by law. A democracy is held together by shared values, a certain understanding of right and wrong. Without a moral consensus, there can be no law. And America will collapse if everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. And that's exactly what's happening. The enemy is within. Abraham Lincoln said this, God, a nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That's still true today. This nation under God and only under God shall have a new birth of freedom. George Washington, in his farewell address, warned a country, said, let us indulge with caution the supposition that morality can be maintained without our religious foundation, speaking of Christianity. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect the national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And if we would be restored outside in our society, we must first be restored and renewed inside in our souls. So are we willing? The Bible says the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you identify with that? The spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's our problem, isn't it? Too much flesh and very little faith. Well, this is an hour of truth that will not be delayed. And bottom line, our real crisis of integrity is a crisis of cultural authority. It's a crisis of personal authority. Do we agree with God and his viewpoint or not? And are we willing to align our lives with it? Thanks so much for listening today. A little exhortation, a little history, a little hope. Renewing the Soul of America, $18 book for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us. God bless. Become a partner. The time is running short. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.